The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. We are starting a brand new series. I should have had like a peppier prayer right, in order to be like, I'm starting a new series. But that's, that's my heart. God I, just, God, I just want you to be seen, right? Like I just, man, we want God to be seen. But we are starting a new series, and I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, not only am I excited about what God wants to do, there, it's going to be fun too. It really is going to be fun. Because uh, what we're going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be kicking it off this week. We're going to be doing it throughout the rest of November. And uh, the series is simply called All Things New. And uh, as you can see, we got a reference back there, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, all things new. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, but here's one of the things that we're doing is we're going to be, we're going to be sharing some, some testimonies uh, this month about ways that God has made people's lives new, people's situation. You know, we, sometimes we, we know that God is a miracle-working God. We know that God is into transformation. We know that God changes circumstances, but sometimes we feel this disconnect from, like, is he actually, can he actually do that in my life? Anybody ever, no, you don't have to raise your hand. But, but it, we, get, we get comfortable in the idea that God is a transformation God. But I wanted to remind us, we want to remind ourselves over the course of this next week that God has drastically changed lives, is currently changing lives, and is going to continue to change lives. And, and, and God gets to make us new. Isn't that good news? Um, and so here, here's the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. I love how it says in the, the New Living Translation, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. See, this is, this is what salvation is about. An old, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so that's one of the reasons we're doing that. We're, we're starting the, the series today. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close it up uh, at the end of November with a baptism service, and we are going to celebrate new life. It doesn't seem like a good way to finish a, a series on new life. We're going to celebrate uh, new life. Well, today I, I, want to, I want to dive into uh, a, a handful of different texts with us today. And I want to start in, in, in a text in, in Mark chapter 2. Um, you see, Jesus is, uh, Mark chapter 2 and about verse 16, we're going to jump in the middle of it. Jesus is, is, is hanging out uh, like he regularly did with a whole bunch of like sinners. <laughs> Anybody glad Jesus hangs out with sinners? Anybody? Like, I like so here's Jesus hanging out with these, these sinners, and, and in Mark chapter 2, verse 16, it says, not just sinners, but like tax collectors. Tax collectors were, they were a different breed of sinner, right? Like, and so I, I need to picture this. Like, so tax collector, maybe when you hear like, like tax collectors and that, like, yeah, they're like the IRS, right? Nobody likes them, <laughs> Okay. It's a little bit more than that, right? Let me just give you a little bit of context. See, these tax collectors, they weren't just the IRS collecting money, but Israel was under control of Rome. Tax collectors were Jewish sellouts who worked for Rome to make a paycheck 
collecting tithes for Rome from their Jewish brothers and sisters. I mean, it's the definition of traitor. And, and, and then they would ask for extra. They'd get paid by taking more taxes than Rome required. A traitor and a thief. Which is why the tax collector is often looked at as the one that is contrasted with the righteous. So here, here it's, it's mentioned in Mark chapter 2. Um, and we're going to jump into verse 16. And uh, all, the, all the righteous people, the, the religious people, they see Jesus hanging out with these scum, right? He says, why does he, Jesus, eat with tax collectors and, and sinners? And then in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, as I, as I was reading through this over the last couple of weeks, I had this thought, right? So Jesus, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so he, he creates two categories, the righteous and the sinners. So was Jesus saying... Was Jesus saying that the Pharisees are righteous and he didn't come for those righteous people? Or was he just using the categories that the Pharisees already had in their mind? I'm righteous. They're sinners. They had already created this category. I'm, I'm righteous. They're sinners. Why, Jesus, you're a teacher of the law. You're like this religious, supposed to be this spiritual guy. Why... This doesn't make any sense to us. Why wouldn't you come hang out with us religious guys, with us righteous guys? Why are you hanging out with those sinners? And then Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So is he affirming their righteousness? <laughs> no. What he's doing was he was acknowledging their self-righteousness. Right? He, he, he was saying, I, I've come to call those who know they're sinners, not those who think they're righteous. In fact, there's another story, you're probably familiar with it, in Luke chapter 18. I'll just go ahead and read it for us that illustrates this point very, very well. And Jesus says this, he tells a parable. He says, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, a religious person, very, very righteous, kept the law memorized scripture, like they were like the, the, the pinnacle of spiritual and religious perfection. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Scum, traitor, dirtbag. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers. <laughs> Or, or even like that tax collector. No, no, no. I, God, you know, right? You see, oh, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I get. God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, we get that, right? We get it, right? Like, don't be a self-righteous, pompous, arrogant jerk. We get the moral of the story, right? But here's, here's something that he says is, is, is really interesting. He says, one of them went home justified. In other words, one of them went home right with God, and the other one didn't. The one who kept the law, the one who did all the things, the one who, who wasn't a robber and a thief, the good guy went home not in a right standing with God. Now, maybe that's, maybe that's not too alarming for us because, um, because we look at this story, and I'll be honest, it's a little bit hard to connect, right? We, we see such extremes we're just like, well, that's not really fair. Like, where I don't know where I see myself. Like, I'm not like this arrogant, like, like overly spiritual religion. Like, I'm not that guy, but I'm also not a tax collector, right? Like, there should be a third character in the story, shouldn't there? Like, shouldn't there be a third one? Like, somebody who's like actually a pretty like decent person and who's not overly arrogant and who loves God, like for real, and like overall led a pretty, like, generally good life, shouldn't that person, like, what does that person do? Here's the deal. There's no middle ground in the story. There's none. There's the self-righteous and the humbly repentant. Like, that's it. There's the self-righteous and the humbly repentant. I think part of the problem, one of the ways that we, we've, like, make, it's hard to connect with the story here is because of the picture that we have in our of the Pharisees. Like, I have this picture too, and I bet I already know very similarly what your picture is as well. These Pharisees are people who look perfect, and their chest is up, and their head is tall, and they look down on everyone that they pass by, and they just casually just walk around saying, I'm better than you, and you, and you. Right? In the picture, like, come on, let's be honest. Is that not the picture that we have in our head? And then they quote some scripture, and then they just know that they're better than me, right? That's the Pharisee. I'm not that guy, okay? So, like, I don't know where I fit in this story. But, but here's the thing. Um, I don't exactly think that that's what all the Pharisees looked like. I think one of the reasons that we, we paint the Pharisees that way, a couple reasons. One is because Jesus was always coming at them about being self-righteous. And, and two, it's, it's because it's easier to vilify them than it is to identify with them. Um, so let me, just, let me just capture it this way. Like, culture and society was different in, the, in, in Israel in that, like, civil and, like, social life blurred right into spiritual and religious life, Okay. And so when those in their culture were self-righteous, it had these massive, like, religious uh, overtones, okay? So self-righteousness naturally came out with this, like, religious self-righteousness. But for us today, we've seen enough religious self-righteousness to know that's, like, super disgusting, right? We, we've seen enough fake uh, preachers who are just trying to take people's money and who run off with 
their campaign manager, okay, right? Like, we've seen enough fake self-righteous, like religious self-righteousness that we're like, that's gross. I'm not tempted in that at all. But we live in a different culture. We live in a different day. We live in a different world. What would happen if our self-righteous today maybe just had some different face to it, same heart but different face? See, I think our self-righteous today it comes from the same place. It just, instead of having spiritual overtones, it kind of has these individualistic overtones, right? Self-righteousness can contextualize into any context that it wants. So what's, what's the hot topic in your culture? Where will self-righteousness fit best? Oh, it is one size fits all. And so, so the self-righteousness that, 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 that we have to watch out for, I, I, I believe in, in, in our world today, oftentimes is the self-righteousness that says, I'm good. You see, I, I believe that, that self-righteousness looks as much like complacency as it does arrogance. Right? Think about it. Um, how are you doing? I'm good. Hey, you need anything? I'm good. Uh, can I pray for you? I'm good. Here, here's one of the reasons that we're, we, we've moved to like prayer requests every single week. Is one, because I believe in the power of prayer. And it's two, I believe that if we're not regularly reminded that we need God, that we begin to live our lives as if we don't. And we go around with this, 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 it's not arrogant, it's just spiritually complacent. Yeah, I'm good. Things are good. Life is good. What do you mean by good? I mean, I don't need anything. What do you mean, what do you, what do you, mean you have a relationship with the creator of the universe and you don't, you don't need anything? Like, you're good? Actually, Jesus said nobody is good, no one except the Father. And yet in our self-righteousness, maybe it doesn't look as religious and spiritual as it did 2,000 years ago with the Pharisees, but let me tell you what, we really think we're right a lot. We need to guard our heart. So we, we see this parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. What if, what if it wasn't a Pharisee? What if it was just like a modern North American church attender who just was comfortable with the teachings of Jesus really didn't need anything. And a tax collector. A terrorist. Let's find the evilest scum we can find and just put them on the other side. Car dealers. dealers. (laughs) He said it first. He said it first. Hey, God, I'm, thank, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm not like them. Like, look at, 
Look at all the need that they have in their life. Man, they're always asking for stuff. Like, look, like God, I thank you that I'm like, I don't need anything. Or God be merciful to me. There's, no, there, there's not a middle ground. Like, this is how, this is how self-righteous we are. We think we need to add a third character into God's parables. How's your walk with God? It's good. How's your marriage doing right now? Oh, it's good. How are your relationships? Oh, it's good. What are you you praying for for God from right now? I mean, I don't know. I'm good. We got to watch out. So here's what Jesus sets up. There's two kinds of people. Those who think they're good and those who know they're not. But there's two kinds of people. And yet, I wonder how many of us, like, just, just, like, it just creeps in. It's, it's, it's not intentional, but it just, like, creep. How many of us, we just automatically want to go to, like, I'm this third category. It's the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Maybe a better way to say that, and I think the point that Jesus is trying to make, I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Can I tell you what? We didn't build this building. I'm, I'm grateful for it, but I reference it. Like we're, we're still paying for this gift that God has given us and hey we're, we're going to keep on doing that because we know that it is a blessing from God it's been wonderful to have everybody in here at one time it, like if, if we try to put all these people into the lobby where we used to have church like that'd be like uh, impossible this is such a blessing from God but can I tell you what we did not create a social club for the righteous this This is a hospital for the sick. So I wanna I wanna talk like we're gonna talk about all things new this month. But I think there's there's something that we need to touch on first, and that is this is that we need healing from the great physician, don't we? Here's the the truth, though, is that we're not going to find healing if we don't know we're sick. We've all probably heard the story, maybe even know somebody who went to the doctor for a normal checkup. I went to the doctor because uh, I got a scratchy throat that won't go away. I went to the doctor because some small thing wasn't happening right or just for whatever. And you walk out with a terminal illness that you're not going to live for the rest of the year. diagnosis that had, had we known we could have done something, but I've been living this life with death inside of me without a clue. And friends, I, I believe there are there are people who go to church every single week 
with this external righteousness. Jesus might refer to it as self-righteousness. They have no idea they're terminally, terminally ill. I, I know that because Jesus said it. He, he said this in, in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does the will. Okay, I'm going to do it. But then he says this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, here's, here's the problem. It says only the one who does the will of my father. Well, we have this thing in our performance mentality that we think doing the will of our father is doing all the religious things. Because this is what Jesus says, people are going to prophesy in the name of Jesus. They will drive out demons in the name of Jesus and perform miracles in the name of Jesus, but that is not the will of God that he was referring to. Could it be that we're, that we're running to God? Running to God saying, put me in coach, put me in coach. Not realizing that we've just had this huge accident and we're in a state of delusion and a concussion and we're actually strapped to a stretcher with a bone sticking out our leg and blood coming out our ear and we've just been hit so hard we don't even recognize the fact that I'm saying put me in coach to the trainer who's wheeling me off the field. (laughs) I want to do, I want to do, coach put me in and yet God is saying no, 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 listen to me, listen to me, I need to heal your heart. Like you think you're ready for the game, but you're, you're, you're not even on the field right now. Friend, it's time to do some surgery. Son, you're a little more broken than you think. This verse of scripture, I know this is a strong word, but from time to time haunts me. Jesus said, I mean, there are going to be people who just do and do and do and do and do and do. And he said, you've missed the will of God. Friends, before he wants you to perform for him, which he, that's never really his goal anyway, but he just wants to do something to your heart. He wants to bring healing to the broken places the places that we don't like to acknowledge, the wounds that we've just like ignored. I can see God just looking down on us today saying, I don't need you to perform for me. Just sit still so I can heal you.
we're not going to find the healing that we need if we don't even know we're sick. We're not going to find the healing that we need if we won't acknowledge we're sick. There's some of us, you're like, okay, I know it. Okay, I know I'm sick. I know I need a doctor. But way back here, I'm just going to push down that knowing and just not acknowledge it whatsoever. Let me just act like I don't know. Let me just pretend I'm not sick at all. I'm gonna pr- I know it. I'm not in a delusion. I woke up from the delusion, and I'm on a stretcher, and I'm hurting right now. But, um, but I'm just not going to acknowledge it. And there's, there's a variety of reasons to do this. One of them is this, like from a theological perspective. I've heard this argument, right, that, that God at salvation, he saves me. Everything I've ever done and everything I ever will do. Therefore, um, to come back to him and ask in, in repentance and ask for forgiveness after salvation is just like making a mockery of the cross as if he never, like, as if he never forgave me in the first place. But I'm forgiven once and for all, right? There's a theological little catch here. That this, 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 like, I, I'm not even going to acknowledge my sin. I won't acknowledge my sin because I won't acknowledge my, my, my failure. I won't acknowledge this, this, this branch that is like shooting out of my leg and bleeding down there. I'm not even going to acknowledge it because he forgave me once and for all, and now I'm the righteousness of Christ. Yes. I get that. But now try this. Try never telling your wife you love her because you told her once at the altar. Try it, guys. See how it goes. Sometimes we, 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 we get stuck in these little things. We want to pick one side or the other rather than embracing this tension. Because here's the, here's the tension. Like, I don't need to ask for forgiveness for the sins I'm going to commit tomorrow so that I can get back into right standing with God, so that I can make it to heaven again. I don't have to worry about getting in a car accident and, uh, uh-oh, the last word he said was, oh, all those swear words that he hears at work all day. Guess he's going to hell, right? Um, I don't have to worry about that. My salvation is secure. But then we want to talk about being in a relationship. Now, if I'm in a relationship with you and I never acknowledge a single time that I hurt you, do you see a problem with that? Okay, so, so there's, there's this element of like, I don't have to worry about losing my salvation. I don't have to come to God and grovel all the time so that he will make sure that I stay a son. I don't need to worry about that. My sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But he invites me into a relationship, and any normal, healthy relationship means I'm going to come to him when I fall short and say, hey, I fell short again. And he's going to say, I love you, son. Let's stand you back up, brush you off, and here we go again. But to just bottle and pretend that, that I don't actually sin. Okay, I did sin, but I, I'm covered by, by the blood, so I'm just going to pretend it never happened. Here's another way that we do this. We use language like, like this. You, you read about crazy things that happen in the newspaper or happen on, on, on the news or whatever, and you're like, wow, that person was so normal. They just, they just, one day they just snapped, Right? 
You know, people who live in, you know, that other side of town who don't really have much money and didn't really have a good background, they don't snap. They're just people, you know. But people who look like me and dress like me and who are educated like me, when they do something like crazy, they just snapped. Because that makes me feel like that's not going to happen to me. Here's, here's the true reality of it. They didn't snap. They made a decision to sin, to hurt someone. And what we do is we separate ourselves from our actions so that we can preserve this self-righteous idea that I am good. And, 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 and right, or this kind of language here, he's, got a good, he's a good person. He just X, Y, and Z. No. No, you're not a good person. <laughs> We're broken people. In a broken world, redeemed by a loving, saving God who loves us more than we can imagine. And yet, even in the midst of this love, in this process of being redeemed, in this process of becoming more and more like him, I still break And someday I'm going to see him face to face. And someday I'm going to be there with him. And he's going to make me completely perfect. And it's going to be incredible. But until then, I still get sick. And I need the great physician. Let's be careful that we don't, all of my good behavior, this is me. All my bad behavior, that's just, that's just not me. Friends, it is you. It's the broken, sick you. That God doesn't kick to the curb, but he brings in close if we let him so he can stitch us up and give us the healing that we need. You see, when we start separating ourselves from the, I think of Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So I always think it's like that. I think that, <laughs> that excuse, like that statement that you hear people make, oh, God knows my heart. I'm like, yeah, I want to be hiding behind that one there. Yikes, he does. And so I come with fear and trembling because I know right now I'm still broken. So we don't, we live through this Christian life looking more like the Pharisee than we do like the tax collector because we take on this persona of I've got it all together, right? And what happens is we protect that so strongly that we don't even know we're sick. And then if we do know that we're sick, we don't acknowledge that we're sick. And then once we, now let's say, okay, I've, I've seen it. I have woke up, woke, I woke up from the delusion. Here I am on the stretcher. I'm in rough shape. I'm not just going to push it down. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not just going to say, well, that's not really me. I'll own this, okay? So I know it. But then here's the next thing. We're not going to find healing if you hide that you're sick. You see, here's the next thing that we do. I fully acknowledge it. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a mess, but I hide it. You know what's funny that we Christians do? Like we get so good at being Christians. <laughs> we get so good at being Christians, then we figure out exactly what the Christian socially acceptable way to confess our sin is. 
Tell me, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The, it's, it's the whole like, you know, uh, you know yeah, sometimes I got to, you know, I'm working on my, some anger issues. You just lost your mind on your spouse like this morning, and you got to work on some anger issues. But that, that makes me feel like I can confess my sins, but I can do so hiding behind this facade that, it, that I'm not really as bad as, as I'm letting on, right? That, yeah, my wife and I aren't, having a, aren't getting along really well. You mean she served you divorce papers yesterday? We've learned this Christian way to, to, to talk. Yeah, I'm struggling keeping my, my mind pure. Like struggling as in like, you look at porn every day? Like, like, we learn the right way to say our sins, don't we? James 5.16 says this, and nobody wants to hear it, neither do I, so I'll just I'll acknowledge that at the beginning. I don't want to read this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know what's interesting? It doesn't say forgiven. Did you, did you see this? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that's where this verse, we love the next verse. We, we quote the next verse all the time. The, not the verse, it's the same verse, next line. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The, that verse, we, we want to claim it to like see mountains move, but what if it was actually in the context like it is in the prayer for healing for our brokenness in our confession of sin? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, so where does healing begin? If, 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 if we're... <laughs> This is a bummer message so far, but I promise it does get better. (laughs) Um, There's healing that's available for us, friends. Like real healing. I'm, I'm not talking about just like life hacks to make you feel better. Like, like I'm, I'm talking about the fact that like we serve a real God, not a genie in a bottle. Like we serve a real God who does miracles and we love to pray for miracles of like healing. But listen, God wants to do some miracles of healing in our hearts. See, there are some of us that, that, that we have not taken some next steps in our spiritual maturity because we have identified with the righteous and put the walls up and not let the physician in. We're way more comfortable hanging with the Pharisees. We learn how church life is supposed to work and we learn what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. So we identify over here because this feels better. Even if deep down I know I'm so broken and there's, there's, you know what happens when you stay here long enough, you begin to feel that dissonance like rising up in your heart and you go, something's not right. you know? And Jesus says, it's real simple. Learn to pray like the tax collectors. But 
here's what it takes. Healing begins. And I don't, it didn't say ends. It begins. Healing begins when we're made aware of our need. Healing begins when we acknowledge our sickness. Healing begins when we confess our sins. Again, begins. Sometimes, and I don't understand why God does what he does. Sometimes God will reach down and touch someone and there will be something that is healed within their heart, be it a sin issue, be it an identity issue, whatever it might be, and then instantaneously, that person is never the same again. But can I, can I tell you a more common testimony? We come to God like the tax collector. And guess what? We get up justified. And then we walk out the process of healing. God wants to God is inviting you to be made aware of your need, to acknowledge your sickness, to confess your sins so that he can begin you on this process of healing so that you can begin to experience the fullness of life that he has for you. Some of us, we wonder, God, why, why, why am I still going through this? Why, why haven't I seen this? Why haven't I? Uh, because our guards are still up and we're still so righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. But the sinners. Today, church, crossroads, today I want us to mark today as, a, as, a, as a, a line in the sand kind of day. Because I, I, I know how church is, okay? I, and, and it's just because it's just, it's just so natural. When I come to church, I, I come like I, like I do anywhere. I, I, I come to any public place. I, I put my best foot forward, right? Most of us try to put our best foot forward when we show up at places, don't we? Generally speaking. And I also come to church knowing this is like the house of God and there's the spiritual thing that is, is here as well. Genuinely, I want to grow in my relationship, God. I want to grow in my obedience to God, right? Everybody with me so far? But then what happens, and, and no fault to anyone in particular other than just a fallen human race, is, and then we look around and we see everybody else and, and we see everybody else who's also putting their best foot forward and we misinterpret your best foot forward as the ability to perfectly obey everything in the law and everything in the word. And so now I'm in a room surrounded by, so I think, surrounded by perfect people who all think they're in a room filled with perfect people. And then I begin to put on my self-righteous little bubble. Because what if they find out I'm not like them? What if they, what if they find out that I'm not as perfect as they are? What if they see that I'm broken? They look so good and shiny and their kids are well-dressed and well-behaved. Look, they're smiling at each other. Look at the way they greet each other. 
Everybody's so perfect. Everybody loves Jesus so perfectly. So I better put my walls up so that nobody actually sees me. I better hide in this Pharisee self-righteousness shield so that no one can really get close. And what we don't mean to do when we put up those walls is we're not just keeping people away, but we're keeping our good physician away as well. We, we begin to take on and live out an identity that's not true. And we even kind of sometimes know that it's not true. But we think that's how church life is supposed to be. Nobody told us it was. It just kind of happened. I can't let everybody know. I can't let anybody know. Right, you can, just, you can just go down the list. What if they knew? What if they, what if they knew I'm addicted to pills and I, and I didn't mean to, but I can't quit now? What if they knew I screamed at my spouse before church this morning and, I, and so we took two separate cars because I couldn't sit in the same car with her the whole way here? What if they knew I was addicted to pornography? What if they knew I wasn't really sure if God is even real? What would they say? If, if any knew that I, anyone knew that I, uh, I'm depressed more days than I'm not, if anybody knew that I've been, I've been playing out suicidal thoughts in my mind, if anyone knew that I was cheating on my spouse, if anybody knew the kind of things that I used to do to people, if anybody knew I don't even actually pray and I've never read the Bible, if anyone knew that I haven't eaten this week because I hate the look of my body, if anyone knew that I needed alcohol to function normally, if anybody knew how dirty I am because of what other people have done to me, if anyone knew I lived in a cage of fear daily, if anyone knew that I, if I, I wrestle with same-sex attraction, what if anybody knew that, 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 that I don't know how to control my anger? What if, what if anybody knew, guys, the thoughts continue? What if anybody knew I hurt myself physically to mask a deeper hurt? What if I knew, what if anyone knew the debilitating anxiety that haunts me daily? What if anybody knew the emotional affair that I'm having at work? What if anybody knew about the, the people I hurt and I don't even know why I do it? What if anyone knew the real me? So we hide in our sickness. So we, we hide in our brokenness in, in, in the very place that Jesus invites us to come into to be healed. This God that we serve is so stinking real. And we play games. because we think he can't, he can't handle me. They can't handle that. What if they knew the real me? 
You mean the human and broken real you? Yeah. <laughs> we know. <laughs> I want to I draw a line in the sand today and say, friends, we are, we are today dedicating this building and more than this building, this community as a place where we commit to one another that we will not hide. Listen, now, before, like, because here's the deal. People go crazy on this idea. I've had, we've seen people leave the church. like, the church is the fakest place on earth, and there's just a whole bunch of hypocrites, and everybody just, like, how are you doing? And I say, I'm good. That's because it's a, a normal greeting in our culture. That's why we do that, right? You know what would be really weird? If I came in, it's like, hey, man, how you doing? I see you across the room. And you're like, you know what? I just got a divorce yesterday, and my kids hate me, and I murdered someone the other day. Like, that's weird, okay? There are places for those conversations. Okay, so I'm, I'm not saying you just, like, bear it all in every conversation. That's not what I'm saying. There's a difference between that and hiding, Right? I say together as a church, we make a decision here and now. For the sake of every person from this day forward who ever walks into this building, and for the sake of every broken person who's here right now, that we say, we're not doing it anymore. We're not playing those games anymore. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be the Pharisee anymore. God, here I am. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I know I'm forgiven. I know it. I know I stand in the righteousness of God. I know it. But I also know I keep failing, and I'm going to continue to come and bring my failures before my loving Father and let him heal me. So I want to do something here today. This is maybe a little bit risky. I don't exactly know how this is going to work. Um, first of all, just get your heart slowing down a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to confess your deepest, darkest secret to the person sitting next to you, okay? I'm not doing that. We're not doing that, okay? There's three things that we need to do. If we want to see the, the healing begin, we need to be made aware of our need. We need to acknowledge our sickness and we need to confess our sins. Friends, I do believe confession is a significant part of this. And we're going to have a chance for you to just spend some time confessing things to the Lord. And I would agree with James 5.17 that many in here may need to find that one person, uh, a spiritual person, a uh, mentor of yours, somebody that you look up to, somebody who can speak life into you, that you can trust, or maybe a person that you've offended that you need to confess some things to, but ultimately between you and God. But I just want to work on step number two, together as a church. I hope, I hope today, just maybe a little bit, that God has opened our eyes, that we are made aware of our need. And so today I want to do this second thing, acknowledge our sickness, but I want to do it together. As I was lifting off the, listing off all of those things, if they only knew. It doesn't matter if your if they only knew shows up on that list or not. 
But if either today or at some point you've, you've wrestled with that thought, if they only knew, that caused you to take a step towards self-righteously closing off. Again, maybe self-righteousness is, is a word that makes us bristle. Let me just... apathetically steps away. Keeps distance. In a moment, I'm going to do this. If, 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 if that's you, if you're like, man, those thoughts have gone through my mind, if, if they only knew. Again, I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly with this. But if that's you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'll give some structure around that. And here's why. This is what I'm asking you to do it for. One, for yourself as a statement before your brothers and sisters in Christ and a statement before God that says, God, I'm not hiding anymore. And two, because I know, I know what happens when we begin to think that everybody around me is perfect. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to already resolve in your mind that if you're the only person to stand, you're going to stand. I'm also going to ask that if that's not you, you don't stand because everybody else is standing. That'll just ruin it. So I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable. You, we, we want to find healing? Can we first just acknowledge that I, God, I've pulled away. I've I've held back because I thought, what if they only knew? So I'm going to count to three. And when I, when I say three, I want, if that's been you, if that's where you are, I want you to stand. But I want you to predetermine your mind whether you're going to stand or not right now, okay? If you've wrestled with that very thought, what if they knew? One, two, Three, would you stand up? Normally I'm not all into like making everybody else look at everybody else's stuff, but I want you to look around for a minute. You're not alone. We're a family broken people. And the moment this becomes a gathering place for the righteous, this is what he says. He says, I've not come to call them. I've come to the sinners. I've come to the sick. You find a crowd of sick, broken people in the New Testament, guess who's in the middle of it? Friends, I want you, to, I want you to, to hear something today. God has real healing for you. And you don't have to hide anymore. You can have a seat. You know, I, it's so interesting that, that Beth this morning referenced the story of those four guys who, who dropped that person down on a mat through a roof. 
because when I was originally preparing this, I thought like in every scenario, nearly every one that I could think of without like doing a full read of the New Testament or the Gospels, in every story I could think of, it was like somebody had to come humbly to Jesus. Somebody had to move from I'm good to I'm not good anymore. Every single time. And I thought, well, this story, they didn't. It was the friends. So here's the one exception, but this is still the general rule. But I, just this morning, God showed me something about this story. I didn't know Beth was going to share that. That sometimes we're at a place where we're so sick and we're so broken, we don't even know how to get to Jesus to find our healing. And friends, I'm going to tell, I was standing. I know I was already standing, but can I, can I tell, you that, tell you this? I would be standing too. Dear God, don't let anybody know how weak I am. Don't let anybody know how insecure I am. Don't let anybody know that I have no idea if this is going to work. Don't let anybody know that I still struggle here. So I'm... I'm needing it. But can I tell you something? I don't have all the answers. I'm still broken too. But I'd be happy to pick up a corner of your mat and take you to Jesus. We have pastors and elders who love you, who dare, guess what? Sorry guys, I'm, I'm outing you all. They're broken too. Like we have, we have good talks. <laughs> They're real broken too. And I can't heal you. Guess what, Pastor Grady, Pastor Robin, Sandy, they can't heal you. But we'd be honored to pick up a corner of your mat. Because I know who can. We're going to close our, our time together. And we're going to close our time together just with an opportunity to respond to what God's speaking to you now. There's some, you, 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 need, you, you need to find, your, like just bottom line, you need to find yourself right up here, not because this is more sacred than your chair, but you need a physical Response to what God is speaking to your heart to solidify what he's speaking to you right now. Some of you need to find one of our, our prayer team members who in just a moment will be up here to pray. Some of you need to stick around for a minute because you've got to confess some things to God. I'd say go home and do it, but let's just be honest. How many times we sat in a church saying, I need, I need to go home and do some things that I never did. Let's just deal with it right now. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond however, however the Holy Spirit leads you. Father God, we praise you, we thank you that you are our healer. God, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> we're messed up. God, we're messed up, we're broken, we're sinners saved by your grace, and we're so grateful for it. But Father, I'm still in process. 
but I'm still broken. No more games. We're coming clean. So you can do your healing work in our hearts. God, we're letting go. We're letting go of control. We're letting go of sin. We're letting go of those false identities that we've held on to. We're letting go of a a negative self-image. We're letting go of our inflated self-image. God, we're taking hold of whatever you want for us. God, we're embracing the healing that you want to do in us. You promised all things new. You said you came, that you give us life and life more abundantly. God, it starts in this place of healing. So Lord, would you do your healing work? Good surgeon, would you cut out of us all the self that we've been holding on to? Here we are. We're yours, God. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.